Hey man, how's it going? Curtis. Yeah, dude, it's going well. How you doing? Good, good. Good to good to see you. Sorry, I'm running a couple of minutes behind here. It's all good, man. It's all good. Um, what's going on, dude? You uh today was a training day? Today was a training day, yeah. Uh I actually took it a little bit easier than I originally anticipated. The body uh I I needed one more day of recovery. Okay. So it's just I mean, uh I mean that that could open the whole can of worms about listening to your body or whatever you want to talk about, but uh yeah, it's needed to listen to the body, take a little bit of time off, uh, just a lot of stretching, rolling out, staying hydrated and kind of catching a nap and catching up on some rest. For sure. Do you find that like later in the season, then you'll kind of maybe need an extra day after those double weekends? Uh, not so much from that. Uh, what I'm finding is that it, it's it's really important to really measure the training and kind of be very calculated with your training uh, and not overextend it too much because the days are getting shorter. It's getting colder outside and I could do five, you know, several five hour days in a row repeated during the summer, but I can't do that in the winter or the later fall, just because not because I'm physically fit enough. It's because the weather has just that much more of an impact on you and your recovery. So you just come into the next stage just a little bit more exhausted. So it's, it's easier to, I find it's easier to overextend in the training. So that's, it makes it all the more important to kind of calculate your efforts uh, in your training and kind of restrict what you do a little bit more, kind of make sure you're pulling the plug before you you kind of overextend. Definitely. Do you think, have you found in prior seasons that maybe you kind of didn't do that and you paid the price for it? Yep. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) That, That That's just kind of the maturity part of it though. Um, I remember the national championships going to Seattle 2019. I did a training camp in California and the weather was amazing. Uh, It was beautiful roads. I had great company to ride with and I was just, I was doing monster days on the bike and I showed up totally flat to nationals and I just, I couldn't handle the, the sharp accelerations. And I was just, I had this, I had good diesel power, but I didn't have the explosivity that I needed for, an event that I was planning on peaking for, but I, I felt the benefit of that block for weeks afterwards. It was just that close to a championship event or um, I just, I didn't, I, I kind of overextended and I needed a little bit more recovery time with that. Great learning experience though. You know, you look back and you're like, all right, I got to time that a little different next year. Exactly. Yeah. So that that's the, the experience and maturity component of it all. How about now? So learning from that and learning from sure tons of other experiences, do you like to go into a race kind of with a bit more, bit some fatigue in the legs or what's kind of like the balance that you found that you like? Um, you got to know how to taper the effort. So you don't want, I, I find that with more volume, I could still put out decent power, but you're not as explosive. Um, so for the last couple of weekends through Northampton and Falmouth, I'm close to home. I was able to take advantage of, sleeping in my own beds or my own bed and uh, sticking to my normal recovery routines and the, the same food I always eat. And I was able to drive an hour and a half, hour 45 down the road to race my bike. And um, I, it was, I felt more comfortable upping the volume a bit this past week or the last couple of weeks and training through this race block. Um, and I was still able to perform at a high level, but I did find that, in Falmouth, uh, there was a rider that was a little bit more explosive than me, Eric Bruner. And he came in, I think, a little bit more rested. Um, and he, he was just, he flew in and out for that one weekend. And I was, I was really training through that race. So it's kind of having that balance. You want to make sure you have that depth and you're open and opened up enough, but you also don't want to be too opened up enough or have too much depth in the legs to where it's, it's you kind of rely on diesel power more than your explosiveness. For sure. You know, I want to tell this, this, interview came to be or this chat was I kind of set the interview trap with you where I messaged you on Instagram. And that, that was an actual question. I was talking to Curtis about um, you talk about doing like a, like a 30 minute roller spin on like a Saturday morning, Sunday morning on race weekend, which I thought was super interesting. Cause I don't see many guys talking about that. Um, do you, and I've been asking the other cross guys this and I get a variable answers. Do you try to always do openers the day before a race or a double race weekend? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Traditionally that is the the schedule I've always stuck to. 
uh, when you're training through a big block like that, you you take away the opener. So that's when spinning on the rollers before the race is a little bit more beneficial. But even then, let's say it's, you know, for a C1 weekend, I'll travel out on a Thursday, uh, do a course inspection on Friday, do a couple hot laps to really make sure that the engine's firing and opened up. Um, and then I'll do a morning spin, especially if, you know, earlier in the season when the races are four o'clock, uh, later in the day, you, you know, you're up earlier in the day, maybe eight o'clock. I'll do a 30 minute roller spin just to kind of open up the legs, stretch them out a little bit, kind of get the engine going. Uh, but it's the, the heart rate's still pretty low. You know, it's just kind of slowly getting things going for sure. Um, but it's, yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of, uh, of spinning on the rollers before the race. And it's, I always find that very beneficial. So on race day, what's your typical routine? Are you getting there? four hours early, three hours. What's that kind of your standard? So it's, I, I always write out my schedule and I always send it to my mechanics just to make sure we're always on the same, yeah, yeah. same schedule. And uh, I mean, it's, I'm, I add quite a bit of detail, even so much that they know when my alarm's going off, they know when I'm having my first breakfast, when I'm having my second breakfast, all that stuff. But um, let's say I'm starting at four o'clock. I work backwards from there. So Starting around three o'clock, I'm getting kitted up and I'm going to start my warm up. Rough. I also have to look at what my uh, options are for course pre ride time. So if I'm racing at four, maybe the course pre ride is one thirty to two o'clock. Sometimes it, that changes. The schedule isn't always the same race to race. So identifying when I can get on the course, making sure that I have enough time between course pre ride, warm up, and then also uh, through trial and error, I've had to figure out what works for me to eat before my race and when I need to eat it. Uh, typically I have a, a very standard rice and eggs, with a little brown sugar and soy sauce. Uh, it's nice and light, it has everything I need to, to race. Uh, and I find that three fifteen to three thirty out from race time is when I, eat. uh, if it's anything under three hours, I find that I just, it, it, it's too close to race, you know, to the race for me to eat something that big and heavy. So, you got to hit the bathroom. You got to make sure you get the bathroom time in there. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. making sure that I'm, you know, I'm far enough out from the race. And then even uh, in the hours leading into the race, having something smaller, whether it's uh, scratch twos or a hydration mix or like smaller things just to keep steady, uh, light car uh, calories coming in. But um, so with eating three and a half hours before the race, I'll get there roughly three and a half, generally no more than four hours before. Cause otherwise it's just, it's too much sitting around time. A hundred percent, man. I've, I've had some races getting there early and watching some teammates, which is great, but it's a long day. It can be exhausting. Even you're standing around there. It's uh, it, it's fatiguing. Well, the thing is that there's always people to talk to at a bike race. Exactly. Friends are there, whether it's your friends, your family, your teammates, your competitors, the people you're rubbing elbows with, there's always someone to talk to at a bike race. And that's something that's so cool. And there have been a couple of times where I'm on the other side of the tape and I just, I love hanging out with people, getting their perspective, seeing what they're noticing, or just, you know, catching up with people at the bike race, because it's, that's the community and scene that I grew up with. Um, but as a racer, when my job is to compete and to, I'm focused on this task, I'm a very results oriented person. Um, yeah, you have to learn how to shut a lot of that out, but then also, you know, kind of gauging your effort and kind of measuring what you're doing and down to the minute or down to, you know, holding yourself to a certain schedule, all that's a, it's very important. So speaking of that, going into the race, do you have like a certain mindset you like to get into? Or you sometimes I like to say some guys like to like go to war, you know, where it's like putting on the Metallica or some guys are like, I want to, I want to stay chill and listen to my ocean noises. Do you have kind of a, a certain, and it's not black and white there. No, it, it, there definitely is. You need to find a good balance with it. Yeah. Um, you know, this kind of carpe diem, seize the moment, seize the day attitude, but also you don't want to be too anxious where you're, you're coming out swinging and then you blow up after the first couple laps because you took the whole shot and you led for the first couple laps and you just dug a hole you couldn't get yourself out of. Um, and it's, I don't want to be a broken record talking about experience and maturity, but that's something that I've had to learn later in my career where when I was younger, I, I would race very aggressively fighting for every single corner, uh, getting the whole shot and really just this full gas effort and seeing how long I can hold that for. Sometimes I was able to hold it. Sometimes I wasn't, but 
the more experience that I I've been able to have through my career. And later on, I, you know, I, I can see kind of the young racers coming up and seeing how they fight for every corner and how they approach these races. And I, I'm able to kind of be a little bit more calm and I can, I trust my ability to react well to the, the, the chaos in front of me, whether there's a crash or someone took my line or someone's giving me an elbow. I have the confidence to react to that in a, in, in a measured way that that's ultimately what it is because you can't cyclocross racing is already chaotic enough as it is. So it's, you don't want to add this stress onto yourself where you're, you're just kind of flailing in the wind. You want to make sure that you have trust in your equipment, making sure that you have trust in the, the, the tire pressure that you chose or the gear ratios or the, the starting gear that you chose uh, while you're on the grid, you want to make sure that you have confidence in your training and the preparation, all the food that you ate, you know, in the, the days leading up to your event was what you needed to fuel the tank. You're, you have confidence in the hydration and the sleep that you got the night before. And there are just things that are out of your control and you need to, I mean, that's just life, right? You need to be okay with that to some degree. You, you just need to make sure that you're reacting well to these external circumstances. And I think that experience, it's not like you can take one season and figure all those things out. It's all those years oh, you no. have under your belt that you dial in all those things one thing at a time. No, no, no. I've, uh, so my first year of racing, uh, it was 2005. I was 10 years old. Uh, so now, I mean, it's 16 years later <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm on nine years with Cannondale cyclocross world, learning from the best in the sport. Uh, whether they're athletes or mechanics or just experienced people in the sport and constantly getting direction from that. It's, it's, it's huge. Um, and then also my experiences racing on the road or the, the limited experience I have racing mountain bikes, which it's not a lot, but I've still done some mountain bike racing and uh, all of those experiences in different disciplines uh, going into whether it's completely uncharted territory, like a mountain bike race, I have no idea how the suspension systems work. Uh, what the tire pressure should be like or how to pace this like an hour 45 effort versus a 60 minute cross race. You can't pace those two the same. Um, so it's, it, I, I think it's, I mean, it, that's also a life discussion, but always putting yourself in uncomfortable situations and kind of having that peace of mind that, you know, you, you trust your ability to react well to these uncomfortable situations. You know what I'm curious of in regards to experience, what would, Curtis today, tell Curtis from 10 years ago to work on, um, just in training in general, uh, not to be too general, but learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Meaning, uh, especially in a sport like cyclocross, you need to be very well-rounded and you could race a course one day and it could be bone dry and fast. And the next day it could be pouring rain. It could be snowing. It could be heavy shin deep mud. It could be sand. You have all these different conditions and then you have different features. Sometimes you have a st you know, a couple stairs that are easier to bunny hop. Sometimes you have barriers that are, it's more advantageous to bunny hop or a steep hill that you need to learn how to ride really well. Um, learn how to ride features that kind of scare you. Sometimes you don't want to, always crash in your training or ruin your equipment. But also if it's raining outside, go ride your bike, go ride your cyclocross bike. And you know what, even better yet, put on some file treads and really practice sliding around because that's, if you're always in a comfortable environment, you know, like riding mud tires when it's muddy out, that you, that doesn't build the skills as you would if you were riding a file tread tire or a Grifo tire when it's really slippery and muddy. Cause you want to practice sliding around and getting uncomfortable. And when I was younger, I don't think I did as much of that as I, as I could have or should have. I was very focused on clocking in, clocking out, getting the work. And if I needed to do two hours with intervals, I would do those on the trainer. If it was pouring rain outside, which there is benefit to that, but it was also, I wasn't training the skills I needed for cyclocross. So that, that, that would be the, the top advice I give to you know, young Curtis back then, who was, uh, I, I know a couple of people thought I was a punk. I was racing very aggressive. I would race for every corner, blow out a corner or not, not understand how to ride my equipment. Um, so it's just, it's that patience and kind of that 
ubiquitous assimilation almost kind of learning how to ride in all these different conditions and take in knowledge everywhere you go. So many gems in there, man. That was great. That was a great answer. <laughs> in regards to, there's so many things I want to pick in there, but I want to go back to, um, uh, so when you were riding, like you said, like, uh, getting into cyclocross, did you know early on that, cause you, you did a lot of road racing and I want to talk about that. Did you know early on that you kind of always wanted to specialize in cross or did that kind of just happen? Um, you know, my heart has always been with cyclocross. I grew up in the in the Northeast. Uh, I'm from upstate New York, but I went to a lot of the the Nycross races or the New England cyclocross races. And there was just, as a young junior, there was that scene that it, it just it was very attractive for me because I there were big junior fields. There was the infrastructure for those races, and just the sport of cycling and cyclocross more specifically. You have access to your heroes, and all the the, the top racers are right in front of you. Um, I could go up to my heroes and say, good luck today, or how was the race or what was the tire pressure? Or, you know, I'm sorry you crashed or, and, and I could watch the race and there's breathing heavy and sweating. They're right in front of me. Like at that, that's something in sport that you don't always get. Um, that, that I, I always enjoyed racing on the road and I, I loved the teams I was on. I really enjoyed my teammates and the races we did and how we won uh, or race that, that was, I, I love those, those days and those experiences. But for me, sci- my heart's always with cyclocross. And I think it all, it all started with the scene with that environment, but it's also kind of the essence of cyclocross is that it's, I don't know, it, it, it keeps you honest, right? Like it, it's good for the soul and that you, everyone's dealing with the same conditions. Everyone has two wheels under them. You have, you know, different tire choices, you have different gear ratios and you have different techniques, different lines, but the same course and the same conditions. And everyone needs to figure it out and get through this the most efficiently. Um, you know, and there are races where it's the strongest that wins, you know, and it's, if it's cold out, if it's 35 degrees and snowing or pouring rain and muddy, like those are the races that I just, I, I live for as an athlete, but also I just, I love seeing other athletes, just the, the fight, the grit, the, the determination behind that, because that's that, I don't know. I just, I I love that feeling and you just don't get that in other disciplines. You know, the word, I say the same thing every time we talk about this, but is artistry. And there is, it's like, I feel like there's much more artistry in cross. Don't get me wrong. It's different in a road and there's team tactics and different dynamics, but with cross, there's like you said, it's you versus the course you versus the other competitors. And there's all these other specifics you need to figure out to all get from point A to point B the fastest. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's, and it's really unique when you have a course, when the conditions change throughout the race where lap to lap, everyone's going into every section blindly that that's that. And you don't often get that, but that's always a, an element of cyclocross that's we saw that at Cincinnati earlier this year. Yep. I was going to say the, the world cup too was there were the world cup. I don't know which one it was. Um, maybe it was the one on Wednesday. Was that in Fayetteville where it was? Yep. Yeah. The world cup files in, mids and then muds. Yep. Yeah. 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 We, we were all on file treads the day before. And then even earlier in the day, it was kind of raining uh, earlier in the day on Wednesday. And then it just got really heavy and the course just deteriorated at such a rate where you would have, a rut that was fine one lap. And then it just was, it wasn't a viable option the next lap because it got too deep. And then you had to look for another rut or another line on the outside. And you were always looking for that green patch of grass. Um, So it's, those are the days that like for me as a, as an athlete, those are the most fun where you, you kind of just on the fly making, you know, making the best decisions you can in the moment with the limited resources that you have. And just, you know, at the end of the day, you're like, damn, you know what? I made some mistakes, but that was fun. That's great, man. That's what makes cross so great. Yep. Um, upstate New York, man. I'm a fellow upstate New York, bro. Yeah. Where are you from? I'm from Utica. Oh, okay. Very nice. Yeah. So I'm, uh, from just outside of Schenectady. Albany, yep. Yep. From, yep. I'm, I'm familiar with the area. I've, we've actually done, um, well, some of the same road races. I lived in New York city and I know you've done trooper Brinkerhoff a few times. Um, I actually raced your brother Harrison at a, at a race in Kirkland. I don't know if you raced that it's in Clinton, New York. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I've done the Kirkland race. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. I think that that used to be part of the New York cross series, but, um, but yeah, so now you're in Beverly, Massachusetts. 
which is kind of like, it's like a hotbed for cross racers now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're well, bringing it back, but it's it, it, there's there's a lot of iconic racers that lived in this area back in the day, and um, old teammate of mine, Tim Johnson, lived just a couple towns away. Uh, the Cannondale Cyclocross World Service Course is just across town. There's uh, a lot of the the trail systems out here are incredible. The the people to ride with are awesome. Uh, it, it just there's all the pieces of the puzzle are there for me because it's I mean you have these hotbeds like everyone talks about Boulder um, or or California or play, I mean, nice warm places to go to, but it's I think the the North Shore of Massachusetts area is it's really a hidden gem uh, for cycling. We don't have a ton of elevation, but the, the culture around cycling and cyclocross and mountain biking, it's just, it's, it's a really cool place to live and kind of be a part of and explore. That's great. Yeah. I've seen, we'll do a link in the show notes to your Instagram. I'm sure everyone's already checking it out, but yeah, you can hit the trails on the cross bike, hit the sand on the cross bike, hit the road. You got lots of options. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, uh, so earlier, like through the spring and summer, we do these uh, endurance cross rides where I mean, we put the knobby tires on and we just ride our cross bikes and we, it's three or four hours of trails and you're not always doing 200 Watts steady for four hours. It's, you really have to muscle the bike through some of these sections and it just, I mean, you're constantly just throwing new things at you and it's, you're not riding a course for four hours where you, you know, the lines, you know, the, you know, there, there's a bending right after this left-hand turn. This is how you have to set up for these lines. It's there's constantly new things being thrown at you. So it just kind of, it helps keep the ride, your routines nice and fresh. You're not doing the same thing over and over again. And that's kind of with just training in general, but with cyclocross, you do need variety. You know, you can't always do the same thing over and over and over again, because then you get too used to it. And then it just, it kind of burns you out. So talking of variety, do you have an ideal run into the cross season? Cause I know there's some road racing in there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, uh, I, I'm a big believer in road racing and kind of making sure you have that speed and depth and intensity. Um, especially, you know, stage races. I always, I love doing, uh, you know, the big stage races in America, especially, you know, up in Canada, Saguenay, Tour de Beauce. Um, those at that time of year were really good preparation. I thought, um, I always enjoyed doing the crits later through August to really sharpen things up. Um, I was also doing some mountain bike racing to kind of make sure I was dialing in the technique and the kind of the, the explosivity on that front. It's physiologically mountain biking is just different than cyclocross. Um, but uh, I think more recently over the last couple of years, we've all seen the rise of gravel and there are a lot of athletes that are kind of curious from a physiological standpoint, how does gravel kind of pair with cyclocross? I, well, like, I, I mean, it, it's just, everyone's just trying to figure that out. And I mean, does a 12 hour gravel event really prepare you for a one hour cyclocross race? Probably not. Right. But it's, it, it, that is an option out there. And the, the cool part about the gravel scene is that there's no standard, you know, with cyclocross, you have a one hour effort. That's the standard. Um, with gravel, you could be anywhere from an hour to 12 hours. It's just, it's all over the, all over the, all over the place. And those races are typically pretty heavy. Um, especially when you start to get some climbing in with the gravel roads, it's a little bit slower, uh, doing a couple of races around the Northeast, especially the dirty bikes, gravel series out by the finger lakes in New York, a lot of steep punchy climbs, but it's slow going. So you're really kind of grinding, with the power. So you don't have that explosive high end earlier in the year. It's good to build that. So you have that variability of you have that deep seated diesel power earlier in the year, and then you could sharpen it up later through the summer as you start to get closer to the season. So it's, it's, it's knowing when to use uh, certain gravel events in the program. I think what we're getting to ultimately is that cross is the best because you can have variety. Yes. <laughs> what about did you do you have any gravel um events on the calendar for next year uh i i've started to put i've started to piece together my calendar yet i'm not ready to announce my calendar quite yet but i do have a couple gravel events on there slated in um and i, I am looking forward to that i i'm i am excited about uh mostly just going to new events right because again if you keep going to the same events over and over again you just you you, you want to keep 
shaking it up and trying something new. So uh, this past year I went to unbound gravel, never gone before. I've never done a ride over six hours before this year. Um, so that was very new and interesting. And I, I uh, there, there were a couple of mistakes that I had made and I, you know, I'll go back next year and hope to correct those mistakes. But you know, if, if I go back to race it, but um, you know, it, it, it was cool just to try something new and different. I will say that. That's great. Carrie says he's going for Hyde for the unbound 100 title. I, you know, that, so the 100 race seems to be a little bit more, uh, in line, just like from a physiological standpoint, um, that's a six hour day on the bike. Like that's not too far out of the realm of a long road race. 12 hours on the bike is just, it's, I mean, from a physiological standpoint, metabolic, you're, you're pushing your limit on all these different fronts. And it, it mean, for one day to do that, that sort of distance, maybe it does more, more damage than good. But I think a 100 mile event, especially at unbalanced, I mean, it, that event is really gaining traction. So it's, I think it's going to be more popular. That 100 events can be more popular as we go forward. Agreed. I'd like to do the 100. I don't think the 200 seems hundred, hundred kilometers too long, hundred miles too long. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And unfortunately I got a heat stroke 125 miles in. Oh. I, I, I had to pull the plug, but it was just, I, I felt like I was comfortable in the, in the front group up until mile 90. And it was just, it, it was fun to be a part of that. I loved racing with those guys like that. I mean, they're, they've done incredible things in the sport. Everyone in that front group, really. Um, and I just say, but it's a 12 hour effort that, that is the one thing. So it's, I, I think from a physiological standpoint with my goals being more towards cyclocross, I'd love to give that 100 mile race a crack. Awesome, dude. I'm looking at, I'm hoping to see you out there next year. Yeah. Um, so speaking of like long miles, Going into the season, do you prioritize, like I said, you're doing like four or five hour, six, six hour rides. Do you try to like get in? Are you, is it, are you a big volume guy? Yeah, I'm a big believer in volume and, and also what type of intensity you're at this volume. I mean, it's, if you're training more for stage races, you are going to up the intensity slightly to be more tempo for that, that duration. And that really kills your explosivity. Um, so it's again, just having that balance of, what level of intensity you're training your endurance at. Um, and that's something that I've had to figure out over the last couple of years. And especially, you know, in season, I'm kind of dialing back the intensity for the endurance. You know, I'm at more of a low level endurance through the, through the cyclocross season, just to be able to maintain. Um, and because cyclocross is so explosive, you want to kind of help cultivate those fast twitch muscle fibers instead of dull them, which is what, you know, training at a higher endurance level or a low tempo would do. Definitely. Yeah. Do you, I mean, I know it varies, but in a, say the first couple months of the cross season, are you doing any specific workouts during, if you're racing Saturday, Sunday, each weekend, are you doing anything in the week as a like, specific workout? Uh, so a typical week, if I'm racing both days on the weekends, uh, Monday's typically recovery day. Tuesday is typically an endurance ride with, so I run in the morning just to go through the motions, 30 minutes running. And then I'll do, uh, several hours endurance, maybe four hours. Um, Wednesday is typically a little bit more structured in that I try to get more skills work in. So if I'm doing explosive running, it's going to be a run up. Um, I'm, I don't, uh, or, or hot laps on my cyclocross course that I have in the local park or certain skills I'm doing, uh, bunny hopping, sand ruts, whatever. Like I, I have a program or things that I want to focus on. And especially too, if there are features that I know are coming up in the weekends racing, I practice those on Wednesday to kind of help visualize how I'm going to go through those motions a couple of days later. And that, those small things do help. Um, and then typically Thursday is a recovery day and traveling to the racing and uh, Friday is a uh, opening up and doing a couple hot laps, getting familiar with the course and then racing Saturday, Sunday. Awesome. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about um, a lot of guys say that, but seeing what specific features stand out for the weekends races and then practicing them a little bit. Um, I think that's key. Some people, you know, really push that. And I think that's great. Yeah. And it's, Again, back to that variation, if you have a park or 
wherever you train your cyclocross skills, if you always do the same lap over and over and over and over again, it can kind of get a little old. It's nice to have uh, a lap where you could, you're very comfortable with it and you can really rail the turns and you could push your limits and the, the limits of your equipment. But also you want to make sure you're throwing in new features, whether it's off cambers, uh, put the barriers in a different place. So you're, you know, practicing running the barriers or bunny hopping them at higher speeds or putting them uphill. So you can practice, you know, a, a quick, efficient dismount and a very quick remount. And so you're engaging in the pedals. Like just those little things to make sure you're practicing it a couple days before the race. Um, you know, a, a, a steep run up versus ride up. All, all those features are really important to practice and kind of just throw at you. So it's, I always find that the Wednesday workouts, it's not so more about hitting the numbers, but going through the motions of making sure that the technique is there and kind of just solidifying, you know, what am I going to see over the course of the weekend? And as the season progresses and the racing picks back up, maybe those workouts aren't as necessary. They're a lot of fun, especially when you get a group. That's my number one suggestion that if you are able to ride with someone else or ride with a group, absolutely do it because it's it's so much more fun with a group. And if you have someone that's faster than you pushing you in training, that's where you really get better. Um, but it's as the season progresses and the my technique is is really good right now. I'm not too worried about kind of making sure that the... I, my bunny hopping doesn't need to uh, make these big leaps and bounds right now, or I, I don't need to be smoother with my dismounts and remounts. All of those, those technical bits are they're where they should be right now. So I'm more focused on more measured and calculated training at this point for me. Definitely did two, two things I wanted to highlight one, everyone listening, Curtis white is going to the park and working on his skills. So you all should be too. Cause I have so many athletes. They're like, Oh, the park isn't gray. I'm not going to do this get out to the park and work on your skills. Um, and second, when you're talking about earlier training through some of these, these races that you had these last couple of weekends, Northampton, really rad. I'm sure you're looking towards Pan Ams and nationals. Are you doing anything specifically now to get ready for that? But, or do we even know what the course is like? Yeah, I think with, this is a plan that I've had for several months now. Uh, my coach and I have worked together to really dial in this plan. And, you know, sometimes things fall through. We have to move things around. That's totally okay. We're professionals. We roll with it. We know how to respond well. Um, but I, because I knew I was going to be home and I was going to race those races, I could take advantage of being close to home, have my own recovery routines, be on my own bed, eating familiar food on familiar roads, all those, you know, it's a half percent here, half percent there that it, it all adds up. So I felt comfortable training through these races, getting in higher volume, and then still being able to perform at a high level. Um, but when you do that, it, it, it's, it, it's important to know what races you're targeting. You know, we're, we're obviously not doing that coming into a national championship. I'm playing the long game here because I have Pan Ams nationals. And then I go to Europe the day after and I, I, I want to be good for that block too. And then after the European block, we come back to the U S for the world championships in Fayetteville. So it's, I'm kind of playing the long game with this. It's not that I'm, you know, thinking of one or two races. It's really teeing up the second half of the season here. For sure. Mm -hmm. Do you going into, let's talk about world championships. What did you think of the course? Would you, did you enjoy the course? I know maybe the conditions aren't going to be the same. Uh, I, I really did enjoy the course. And I think that when we're talking about variation again, uh, there's, there, there's horses for different courses. And I think that it's really cool that if you look at the last five years of world championships, we've had some very different world championships. We've had uh, just kind of going off the top of my head, Zolder, the Zolder world or the Zolder world championships, which is it's on an F1 speed track. It's, absolutely blistering fast. It kind of has that sandy topsoil around the track. Um, and it was really muddy during that day. So it was just, it, it was a really cool dynamic. Then you went over to Falkenberg, which is a lots of elevation, very heavy with mud. Um, and then we've over the last couple of years had some very fast, tight, not a lot of elevation, like those kinds of courses. Um, 
we're up in Bonza, Denmark, very tight, fast track. Same with uh, Dubendorf, Switzerland, where we were on an old airfield. Um, it, it was very heavy with mud for the, for the Sunday races, but it was still, there wasn't a lot of elevation. We had these small humps to go up and over. And then this course that we have in Fayetteville, I'm very, well, I, I forgot Ostenda too, which is right on the beach. Um, but I, I think that world championships don't always need to be the hardest courses out there. Um, which is, I think there are a lot of people that talk about, well, this wasn't a real world championships course, or this wasn't, this wasn't a true cyclocross course. I don't fully understand what that means because it's because we're cyclocross athletes. We have to be ready for any and all conditions and courses and features. That's just, that's who we are as athletes. You need to be incredibly well-rounded. I think the course in Fayetteville, uh, we got a taste for what it was going to be like bone dry, which if that's the case, we're going to be averaging 25 miles an hour. And well, maybe I, I don't know what we're going to be averaging, but it's going to be an incredibly fast course um, that we're able to breeze through. And there's really no difficult features. If we get a couple inches of rain or snow, it's going to be a very challenging, very, very demanding course, uh, which we saw when, when we raced it on the Wednesday. So it was, it, it'll all depend on the weather. I'm very curious to see if they make any changes to the course. I think that if the course is bone dry, uh, you would see the first minute and a half is this massive descent with these big sweeping turns. And we're going to be absolutely flying down those. Yeah. That initial flight for position is going to be big. there going into that downhill. Yep. Yep, absolutely. So it's, I, I'm very curious to see what the weather conditions are going to be. I think it's, it's going to be the conditions and the racers that make the race, not, not so much the course. For sure. It, it looks like a really interesting course. It kind of has like some more uh, like cross country feel to it, you know, like with the bank turns and the berms and stuff. It, it's interesting. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it is. Uh, you could tell that there was a mountain bike race there before too. Yeah, exactly. But I think it's, it, it's going to be a very, I, I'm going to really look forward to this race. Awesome. Just, I mean, being in my home country, there was the, the second world championships I ever did was when the world championships came to Louisville and uh, there, there was so much chaos around that event because the river was rising. It was going to flood the event on Sunday. So they had to move all the Sunday's events to Saturday. And it was just to, to kind of live through that and race and represent my country on home soil. And then to see the work behind the scenes of, all the folks that made that day possible. That, that was a huge step forward for us cyclocross. And then to see for the, the world championships to come back to home soil for the second time in history and the second time in my career, uh, that that's really exciting. So I'm very much looking forward to going back to that. Great for us cyclocross. I'm looking forward to watching it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you were saying earlier, you do some running stuff. Do you do any strength training before yep. the season in season? So there's a, I think with cyclists, we typically still need to gonna get super bulked up. Um, but it's, we still need stability. We need to catch ourselves when we fall. We still need to throw our bike on our shoulder. We're running downhill and we need to find balance. Uh, something slips underneath us. There's all these crazy factors that happen. Um, and we need to be able to catch ourselves and pick ourselves back up. So it's, I do a lot of strength and condition training. I'm a big fan of plyometrics and a more explosive work. Um, and then running too. It's through the spring and summer. I think it's really good just kind of for, uh, for bone density and kind of training that impact. Cause that's, I mean, if you think about pedaling a bike, it's a very fluid non-impact motion. And you need to kind of, you need to have that variation between an impact motion, like, like a running, I, I'm not a fan of running on pavement just personally. I, I find I get too sore doing that, but running on trails. I love it. I could do that all the, all day long. What's a typical run for you? Are we talking 30 minutes, an hour. I'm sure it varies in season. I'm more 30 to 40 minutes. Um, out of season, I'll bump that volume up a little bit just to, um, kind of get used to it. And also if we're, I mean, I mentioned earlier, the days are getting shorter, it's getting colder out and it's, you're not always able to get those really long days on the bike 
just sometimes circumstances out of your control, whether the weather's not great or whatever. So you do want to rely on running more. So maybe bump that volume up this time of year, uh, running easy on the trail. So you need to prepare for that. So there, there are times in the spring and summer where I'll bump the, you know, 45 minutes, almost an hour of running, you know, and taking a couple of breaks here and there just to kind of reset the body. But, um, yeah, it's, I think it's an integral part of the program. So with your rest of your race calendar, you got Pan Ams, uh, we got a lot of races and you're going over to Europe. What has your experience been like? Cause you've been going over to Europe for, I don't even know how many years now are you, how have you tweaked that experience? Cause I'm sure the first time it was very overwhelming and now you're going over now. What have you kind of learned along the way? Yeah, it's, uh, I remember the first time I went over to Europe, I was uh, a real fan of the Belgian chocolate, <laughs> you know, and, and it's, you spend, it's, you're in a new environment. You want to experience the culture, but you're also there to race. So it's, I've been able to find a healthy balance between that over the years and really dial in my process. And also I'm, I'm competing at uh, a really high level internationally. So it's, that's where the focus is. I, I want to be fighting for those top results. And last year I achieved a personal best world cup result 13th in Dendermond at the Dendermond world cup. So that was something that I was very proud of. And when you achieve a result like that internationally, it's all the sacrifice. It feels like it's paying off. Um, and that it, it just kind of, you know, it, it solidifies your dedication to that. So it's, you know, finding a good routine, you know, when you go to Europe, uh, you know, both home and traveling, you want to have really good routines. You want to make sure that your food is predictable. What you're eating is consistent. Uh, you get on a really quick sleep schedule. You, wherever you go, want to make sure you're training on familiar roads. It's not always possible, but where we stay in Sittard in the Netherlands, uh, I've been staying there for a number of years, maybe nine years or so. Um, and that's, I've gotten very familiar with those roads. That, 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 that's a huge part of being comfortable in that foreign environment. No, definitely. I know <clears throat> traveling to these races, I'm sure. And even in between races, maybe if you're at the world cups and stuff, there's a lot of travel there, but going out and finding new roads or finding places to ride on that can be very like dialing in all those small things really pays huge dividends. And I think I wanted to segue this into nutrition, like you said, and you racing at home, you're waking up in your own bed, you're eating your own food. What have you learned in the travel process to make things like more dialed in there, nutrition wise? Um, more preparation. Uh, if I'm traveling or flying, uh, planning ahead meals, if I can, or planning ahead with snacks and making sure that it's, I can have a meal before a race that's consistent. Uh, you know, I'm not trying new things the night before a race. Um, a lot of little things to kind of control the environment. Cause that's as athletes, we really do try to control as much of our environment as possible. Um, and a big part of that is nutrition where it's, you really do need to fuel the body. Um, we, especially for being a anaerobic sport, rely a lot on carbs. So making sure we're getting, uh, the right kind of carbs in a healthy way. You know, we're not eating Snickers bars all the time. You know, you got to make sure you're getting in the, you know, you know, the rice or the pasta or whatever that, whatever you train with on a regular basis and trying to keep that consistent wherever you travel. So speaking of carbs, do you have, we push this a lot for going out on endurance rides and it's not unique to us is just riding in general. When you're going out on endurance ride, say four or five, six hour ride, do you have a set carb amount you're trying to hit per hour? Uh, I don't track it as much as some other athletes do. Um, I'm a big, uh, I, so this past year I was out in Boulder, Colorado, and I, uh, got connected with Alan Lim from scratch labs and he was supporting a, uh, training camp that I did out of Boulder. Uh, so two days a week we were, uh, training and he had the follow card and he made rice cakes and the best rice cakes that I've ever had, uh, were, uh, sushi rice bacon and eggs. Those are the rice cakes. And I mean, they, they were more savory. So you had healthy fats with you. You had a little bit of protein and you had the carbs. And that's ultimately when you think about like a fat, fat is the most efficient fuel source that we have. Uh, but it needs to be the right kind of fats. It can't be, uh, I mean, 
you know, what you get out of potato chips. You need to make sure that you're getting in the right kind of fats and the right kind of carbs as well. So having a really good balance, especially on an endurance day, you're still burning a fair amount of carbs, not as much as you would in a cyclocross race, but you want to make sure that you have a good balance between healthy fats and carbs. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at. I, I really enjoyed those types of um, rice cakes where it was that good balance, healthy fats, carbs, a little bit of protein just to kind of keep things going. That's, yeah, that's kind of, I, I ballpark it a little bit more with that. Uh, but that, that's what I enjoy doing. No, definitely, man. I, it, I need to make some rice cakes. I haven't made them in a while. And I think Alan has a, has a cookbook, doesn't he? I'm pretty sure I have his cookbook with the rice yep. cakes. Yeah. 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 I, I actually, uh, I have it here. Um, my, a couple of years ago, scratch labs was supporting the team and we put our order in and I was the only athlete to order the cookbook. And I got flack from everyone on the team. It's like, oh, what's wrong with you? You know, you, you get an allotted amount and you went with a cookbook. What's wrong with you? Look, I'll have the cookbook for years. It's going to be totally useful. And I still use it in training blocks for, um, they have really cool breakfast recipes, dinner recipes, snacks, uh, ride food. And there's still, uh, we select an interesting meal out of there, you know, once a week or so every other week to try and just mix things up. Um, but it's, it, it's a really cool tool. I like that. That's awesome, man. Dude, rice cakes. I don't know why I forgot about rice cakes. I got to get back on the rice cake game. Yeah, it, it takes a little bit of effort with kind of planning it. Uh, there, there are days that if I don't have any rice cakes, I'll do like a, a peanut butter with jelly and maybe some um, like Cape Cod chips in there. Or sometimes I'll put like a little salt in the peanut butter jelly. Oh that, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's a good mix of healthy fats and, and carbs, but it's, uh, you know, salt is another big thing that I've, uh, really started to dial in, make sure, you know, I'm on top of the hydration and kind of taking in that the right amount of salt. Um, so it's just all those little pieces of the puzzle as they come together, make a big difference. What we push, what we're not, what we push, what we promote on the Ted King style is we do a lot of maple syrup, maple syrup, do some Mm -hmm. sea salt in there. It's a nice little balance, carb, sugar, everything. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's a real maple syrup, though. We're not real, getting, oh, like, yeah, yeah. We're we're talking, not getting Mrs. Butterworth, right? No, 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 no. We're talking yeah, yeah. New, New York State, Vermont, whatever, wherever you are. Probably yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe even going north of the border up to maybe. our friends. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But even then, it's got to be one of those places. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um. So, hey, man, I know I kept you for a while, but I got one little, one last little section here. I want to talk to you about uh, social media and its role in in racing and being a professional ra- racer. Um, how you got the podcast out. I want to link it. I'm a huge fan of the podcast. Oh, thank you. What, um, how have things changed? How, what do you think, what role do you think social media plays in being a professional cyclist? Uh, I think that cycling is a very unique sport in America and that it's not American. Uh, it's a very Eurocentric sport culturally. Uh, if you look at the best European athletes, they don't need to give social media the attention that we need to, because we're still looking to try and promote the the sport of cycling and cyclocross here in America. We're still trying to grow it. So we, the athletes have, especially more recently, more of a responsibility with social media. Um, for a long time, I was balancing uh, my education with sport and I, you know, balancing a, a pro road contract with a pro cross contract, two different teams and a full-time student and I was commuting for all four years. And I just, you know, you know what, I'll figure social media out later. And you know, later is now. And especially during the pandemic, when the pandemic hit and we don't have any races or results to fight for the athletes who were thriving were the ones that had a, a, a presence and a following. And it's, it was a little frustrating to be honest, to think, okay, now I really have to get my stuff together and I need to, this is, I can't neglect this anymore, but it's been a really fun journey to find my voice on social media, uh, to start the podcast, to, to up my game with it's, you know, giving interviews or, uh, writing an article or through social, through Instagram or Twitter or whatever. Um, those are skills that I haven't cultivated before. And it's ultimately, um, I, I think a lot of people can understand that, that sometimes athletes have a hard transition out of sport when they're done competing because we're, 
we're so dedicated and driven. You're, you have that grit, that, that grind that you're on all the time. And then when you're out of your sport and you're no longer competing or you leave that level, it's very difficult to transition to another role in life or another chapter. Uh, and I think that this is my experience, by the way, that it's really good to learn other skills, just to, just to have other skills, to help with interviews, whether, you know, public speaking with the podcast, having that confidence to kind of have a conversation with someone publicly and kind of with all eyes on you or be able to share new ideas or new projects or kind of have that creativity. Um those are skills I've had to really cultivate over the last year and a half. And I've enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, but it, it has been something new. I'm still trying to figure it out, but, uh, I, I've had, I have had a lot of fun kind of finding my voice and, um, but yeah, to get back to your original question, I, there is that responsibility and role that we have as athletes now. Um, at times it can be a little bit frustrating because the reason why I got into the sport was to, to compete at the highest level, uh, I love the sport of cyclocross. I love the people in it. I love the technique and I love sharing my passion with people and I love inspiring people when I can. And sometimes that, you know, being on Instagram or doing six posts a month or whatever, talking about, you know, tagging certain people and that can get a little tedious, but it's, if you give it a certain amount of attention and you cultivate those skills, it gets much easier. You know, going back to what you, we originally talked about, for you and for everyone here, stepping out of your comfort zone, getting comfortable, being uncomfortable, you know, mm-hmm. learning those new skills. I think that's great, man. And I know I really enjoy the, you know, the course preview rides, everything. I like the peek behind the curtain as to what you guys are doing. So I think it's great. Keep it up. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate it. Thanks for following along. And uh, I hope everyone listening here is able to to check out those, you know, the, either the podcast or the pre-ride videos that I do. Cause I, I, I try to impart some knowledge with that, um, just to, again, I love sharing my passion for the sport. Uh, this sport has given me so much and if there's anything that I can give back, whether it be through social media or on the course in person, I'm, you know, I, I love making that time. Awesome. Yeah. I'm gonna make sure I link everything in the show notes, but you know what I did? I forgot one question I wanted to ask you right off the bat. Go, you're going to be at North, you're gonna be at North Carolina at the GP this weekend. I, I actually decided not to. Okay. Um, and that, that was, you know, we're talking about them having that experience and maturity. It was on my schedule originally, but I made the last minute decision not to. Um, I felt like I needed to listen to my body a little bit. And I took that race off the schedule because that's, I mean, it's going to be two days of flying, flying down there, a couple nights in hotels, flying back, packing up the bikes. That's going to really strain the body um, during a time when, again, days are shorter. We have less daylight. It's colder. We're pushing the body. And, you know, I'm looking to, to peak for these events and I want to get the most out of every single day to bring my best to not only nationals, but to my European campaign and to the world championships coming back uh, to the U S in at the end of January. So I'm playing the long game with this. I would love to be down there uh, competing, but um, yeah, I think that was, that was one of those decisions that maybe, you know, 20 year old, Curtis wouldn't have made that decision, but uh, having that experience and maturity, I felt like it was necessary. This is great, man. No, I'm looking forward to seeing you come out hitting for, for the second half of the season here. All right. Well, I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for having me on. Much Dude, thank it. you. Thank you so much, Curtis. Thank you. And uh, yeah, talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Thanks a bunch, everyone. Thanks for listening.